0: she thought she was going to die.
1: This podcast episode is brought to you by The Daily Cardinal, UW-Madison's longest-running independent student newspaper.
2: I'm Gabby Vinnick. And I'm Hope Carnap, your co-host for The Student Dive, a podcast where we speak directly with UW-Madison student reporters, editors, and Wisconsinites.
1: We talk about the most pressing issues in our campus city, and state communities. Let's dive right in. Today, we discuss the timeline of the COVID-19 pandemic at both the campus
2: and state level. We talk with our editors about how they cover time-sensitive stories during a public health crisis and recap some of the university's decisions regarding testing, classes, and other developments. I'm talking with Gina Musso and Jessica Sankin, who are our incredible college and campus editors. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today.
3: We're excited to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Of
2: course. All right, so Gina, looking back to the fall semester during the rollout of the Smart Restart, Um, What were some of the biggest issues kind of facing UW at that point? I know you attended a call with Chancellor Blank as well. Can you talk a little bit about that kind of situation?
3: Yeah, definitely. So coming onto campus, I know at the start of the school year back in early September, administrators definitely cautioned kids to keep their actions minimal in the weeks leading up to their return to campus. But nonetheless, there was still a bit of an outbreak in the start of September. I too did test positive for COVID around that time, but I know a lot of other students did too. And testing, positive testing rates were up. I know a big issue that the university was saying was they were crediting a lot of the cases to off campus housing situations and off campus gatherings. So that was an issue for campus at the start of last year. We did have the nasal swab testing back then, so results weren't coming in as fast. And both Witty and Celery were under lockdown for a certain period of time as students were seeing an increase in positive cases, which then led up to an increase in testing in campus housing. Jessica,
2: can you talk about some of the TA's concerns um, about the Smart Restart plan?
4: Yes, so teaching assistants at the university took action in support of the scholar strike, they were protesting social inequality and the university's smart restart plan. Um, And they developed an alternative plan for a safe and moral restart, urging for all online classes and for dorms and on campus buildings to close to promote the safety and well being of all campus community members.
2: Jessica, earlier in the fall, you were covering the impact of COVID-19 on Greek life. Can you recap some of those developments, especially when some of those chapters were issued quarantine orders in September?
4: Yeah, so back at the beginning of September, I believe it was nine fraternity and sorority life houses were issued quarantine directives. Um, By that meaning they weren't allowed to leave their houses. And this turned into a widespread issue, especially among fraternity houses, because plans hadn't been implemented for the quarantine directives and students didn't have ample ways to get the necessary goods that they needed to just live in their house without leaving and potentially exposing others. Lots has definitely been figured out in terms of where students have to quarantine at this point, since we've experienced it and lived through it. But our sports editor, Joe Rickles and I worked on a piece a while back. This was in September, where we spoke to a bunch of members from fraternity executive boards who said that they had not been speaking with university leaders and administrative members about what to do if there was a COVID outbreak in one of the houses. And that was obviously putting lots of people in a sticky situation, because if someone tests positive, you want to be able to follow all health and safety protocols. You want to be able to make sure that that person is isolating and not exposing others. And that turned into a pretty big story in the sense that there are lots of students in the fraternity and sorority life community who felt affected by it. There are mental health implications, lots of concerns about people's personal health and safety. Great. So kind of
2: shifting gears into the spring semester and what's kind of been going on with that. um, Gina, can you recap some of the more recent developments in terms of Badger Badge, as well as how ASM is responding to it?
3: Yeah, for sure. So going into the second semester, UW definitely wanted to revamp their testing protocols. So this included borrowing some of the tests from the University of Illinois, their saliva-based testing, PCR. And these saliva-based tests are required for students living around Madison and on campus twice a week, at least for off-campus students. And the tests are housed like testing results are housed in the safer badgers app a new another new addition to the testing protocols for the spring semester and on the safer badgers app is a function called the badger badge which allows students to show their badger badges to badger wellness ambassadors at the doors of campus buildings So if a student has to go to in-person classes or wants to go to any of the unions or any other university building, they have to show their Badger badge and it has to be green. A green Badger badge indicates a negative test result within four days, 96 hours. If a student hasn't gotten tested within that time, their Badger badge will turn up yellow. So they do not have access to the university buildings. In terms of ASM's response, this semester, and towards the end of last semester, they were planning an initiative called their COVID-19 Student Relief Fund, which was an effort by ASM in partnership with the Tenant Resource Center to provide students who aren't eligible for federal aid with housing assistance. So, in partnership with the TRC, ASM was working to grant these students aid, but have received some pushback from the university, and the $2 million relief package is still in the works. How do you make sure that students are up
2: to date about the most recent policies? Like whenever a new email gets sent out, um, like how quickly do our stories get turned around?
4: Um, We typically like to get announcements out the day of. There was a recent email sent out with advancements about compliance and we tried to get that story out a few hours later i think it was gina contacted one of our staff writers and she was on it right away a lot of those times we start by putting out a story right away that kind of just covers the basics so that people can use the daily cardinal as a resource to get information from and then we typically like to expand and create stories based off of those new rules that have been implemented using new interview content talking to university leaders and students on campus to see how those rules are unfolding do either of you have sort of like
2: a memorable story about covid19 that you remember writing and is there anything? Like earlier from spring um around the time that we got sent home or when study abroad programs were canceled anything you remember about that kind of situation
3: i remember i last year i was writing for the features desk and the campus news desk and in particular for features i was already working on a story about students and how many students either fall back on religion or give it up when they go to college. So when we were sent home for the pandemic was right when I was working on that story. So I added the angle of COVID-19 and students practicing religion. So not only did I cover like students who decided to keep religion or who left religion at home when they went to college, but I also added in like how are students staying in touch with their religion since the pandemic. So we talked about virtual masses and how students were staying connected
4: to their religious communities during that time. And I guess mine would be right around the election. I did some coverage on absentee voting and also voting on November 3rd. And it was kind of wild to hear about how different things are and how many people voted absentee. Also to see what voter turnout looked like because this election was so different than so many. Uh, So coverage pertaining to that. And also an article I wrote towards the end of last summer before we were all returning to school about what the smart restart plan would be because the university had just announced it. And not that the story itself I felt was too memorable in terms of content, but I loved the fact that it was used as a resource. I mean, I was talking about it with my grandma and I'm pretty sure she sent it to people as like a reference point, which was awesome because it was literally like a rundown of university emails. but It was informing people of what the University of Wisconsin was going to do upon our return. And that was interesting because we were all headed back during a pandemic, not all, but lots of students were headed back during a pandemic and it was interesting to see how the university would handle things initially
2: yeah that's super cool that we can provide those resources um so going forward for the campus and college desks what are some of the stories you're hoping to write about COVID going forward especially with vaccine rollout ramping up student
4: perceptions one year later this is something that's going to be prominent across the entire paper because the one year since COVID started and we were sent home around march 13th that's gonna be big, but a lot of it about how students see the world now. I mean, things have changed so drastically and people some people are never going to adapt to what life is like during COVID. I mean, it's affected every single person, but it'll be interesting to see how the students that occupy our campus really react. Um, We also just wanna talk a lot more about how students feel in terms of the vaccine and a slight uptick recently in the spread of COVID. There are lots of students who have been very stressed out recently, and I've heard comments about students with their concerns about mental health and the university administration, and it's something that we should address. And I think our staff writers are going to do an excellent job looking into that, and we're going to get a diverse range of opinions, so it'll be interesting.
3: Yeah, kind of building off of that, I think mental health during the pandemic is going to be a focus, looking forward of a lot of our stories, the impacts of 10, 14-day isolations and people not going places or being told to stay at home and the detrimental effects that it has on students' mental health. We definitely want to look into that.
2: Yes, and we will be looking forward to that coverage going forward. I'm sure it'll be awesome as usual. Thank you so much for hopping on with me today.
3: Thank you for having
4: us.
1: Next, I speak with former Associate News Editor, Michael Parsky, about his story back in the spring when one UW-Madison student captured the world's attention with her tweets about her experience contracting the coronavirus. It is Sunday, February 28th. I am here with Michael Parsky, who published a piece back in April of 2020 called Going Viral with COVID-19, One UW-Madison Student's Unexpected Rise to Fame Amid a Global Pandemic. Michael thanks so much for being here.
0: Thanks for having me Gabby.
1: So Michael can you first tell everyone a little bit about yourself your background with the Cardinal?
0: Yeah so just to reiterate I am Michael Parsky um, and I used to be the associate news editor for the Daily Cardinal. I edited the entire 2020 calendar year and now I'm just a second semester senior.
1: So before we even dive into your story, which was published again in April of 2020, can you tell everyone what you observed on campus before you started writing? What what was happening in late March on campus prior to writing this?
0: You know, that's interesting because before writing this article, we had already been sent home for spring break and for COVID. You know, so I had been home for a couple of weeks, so I hadn't been back in Madison for a while, but, you know, sort of beforehand, personally, I was getting acclimated to, you know, being a news editor, you know, I was studying for the LSAT, but, you know, there was a lot of stuff going around campus. Like, you know, there's a lot of pre-election coverage, stuff like that, primaries, um, a lot of state news stories relating to the state government. City-wise, you know, there were some protests, you know, about climate change and other, small demonstrations, but um, it was pretty mellow, I, I think, honestly, such a long time ago, but I think it was pretty mellow, to be honest.
1: So can you help us understand what sparked your interest in this news piece as one of the first Daily Cardinal coronavirus stories?
0: Yeah, so we as a news team met last, like, after um, spring break, and we decided to change our action project coverage to coronavirus coverage. And I found this piece because I actually know the subject of the article, uh, Amy Schurzel. Uh, we did a study away program in Washington, DC. So I got to know her over the summer um, and I got to meet her. And um, it's funny cause Kavita Babu, uh, she's, uh, she's the current um, ed board chair for the Cardinal. Um, she was in DC with us and she texted me one evening about Amy because Uh, she was going to be on ABC's 2020 special with uh, David Muir, who's actually a UW alum that she had posted. She had gotten the coronavirus and she had a terrible experience with it and how she tweeted about it. And it just went absolutely viral. And I was like, holy cow, like I have to write about this. So I called up Amy that night and I was able to interview her. And I wrote it up really quick because other news outlets, you know, I wasn't the first one to break the story, but uh, a lot of news outlets were contacting her, so like I wanted to be the one of the first ones to get it out there. So I wrote it up really, really quick, and it got published. It was—it's funny. It, I posted. It, I think it got published um April first, and and you know in the morning, and then like by the afternoon, the Wisconsin State Journal and I think like an outlet in Kenosha News published there. So you know, I really had to a time crunch there. I was towards the front. Her story had already been published on. You know, ABC News. She had just finished recording episode with Doctor Phil. Like, she was getting a lot of media coverage, but like, that was more of broadcast stuff. So I wanted to be like one of the first print um, stories to come out, and the story actually kind of blew up. Like, she she had a large social media following, and she reposted it. Um, a lot of people liked it. And you know, it's funny. Like on the Cardinals Instagram, uh, uh, Katie Coric, uh, who's a, a famous journalist, uh, she actually liked it. So that was kind of cool. The article actually got hyperlinked in some other articles by uh, Fox Media and, uh, you know, the Daily Mail, which is like a British tabloid. So it was cool to see, like, think of student journalism, you think like, oh, we're at the bottom of the totem. Pole. Just being able to like, see how far like students' words can go. It kind of just shows, you know, as student journalists, like we can break stories, we can write stories that can reach like a broad audience.
1: That's incredible! I can't believe other news outlets picked that up. That's really cool. You decide to write this story. Can you tell us about your interview with Amy, what she said, and what you learned from the conversation with her?
0: Yeah, so I reached out to Amy like as soon as I heard what was what happened to her. You know, I was fortunate enough to get an interview with her that night, and she just basically told me just how, you know, she went on spring break to to Europe, to Portugal, and then the, halfway through the flight, the U.S. imposed a travel ban, you know, on most European countries, and that forced her to book the flight home, but somehow during that time, you know, she contracted the virus, and she was back in her apartment in Madison because her parents were nervous because her mom recently underwent heart surgery, so like being around someone with who's susceptible, it's not a good idea. And it started out just like her feeling tired and, you know, fatigued. And then the, the symptoms got worse. Like she got went to UHS and got a, a COVID test, but the progressions got worse. She got nauseous. She was throwing up all over the place. She was so weak. She couldn't even stand. Vomiting, like she was. she would like sweat so much when she slept that she had to like sleep on towels because she would just soak through blankets and you know I think it was like the fifth day when she told me that she or third or fourth day I think is when her COVID test came back positive but like at that point like I think it didn't even need to you didn't even need like a confirmation to know that she had coronavirus and then the it basically got so bad that like she thought she was going to die and she called 911 because her her doctor and her parents told her to do it and you know the paramedics picked her up they took her to the hospital and there really wasn't that much to they could, the the hospital could do for her other than like keep her hydrated. You know, she stayed in the hospital, like kind of an isolation quarantine for day, but then she got discharged and she left. But then a few days later, she came back to the ER and then got discharged again. Then she's like, okay, like I can't do this anymore. Dad picked her up and took her home. But um, basically the story was like, she obviously had that horrible experience. And, you know, she tweeted about it because she wanted to be like, hey, like people with pre-existing health conditions and the elderly are the people, the demographic that are people that most people say are like most susceptible to coronavirus. But actually, it's regardless of age, regardless of how healthy you are, because she was healthy, like she ate right, she exercised daily, like coronavirus can... Be fatal to anyone, regardless of any type of attributes. And I think that's the true essence of the article is that like people would go on spring break or go out to the bars or like, you know, social events without masks or just even with masks. And they'd be like, oh, well, we're going to party. Like COVID can't affect me because I'm young. Like this article clearly disproves that assumption that many people had for a while.
1: And it's a pretty unique experience to rise to fame because of a virus, one that was really new at the time. So, what was it about this tweet that made it resonate with so many people, not just in the U.S. but internationally as well?
0: Well, it's just like a, you know, it's just a. She's just your typical college girl. She was at the time, you know, 22 years old. She was studying for the LSAT. She went on spring break like so many people did, and. I think it just shows that, like, when coronavirus started out, you know, you heard about all these celebrities and all these famous people, like, being afflicted by the disease, but, like, mm-hmm. it can actually happen to the common, to, like, the common average Joe. And, like, think, again, harping back to younger people can, like, contract the disease. Obviously, you know, most people, like, our age are asymptomatic or, you know, they have mild symptoms, but, like, certain instances, like, it can be fatal and it can almost result in death. Very fortunately, Amy was able to pull through and, you know, she's recovered fully.
1: How do you feel now looking back at your coverage when there might be some real light beckoning at the end of the tunnel, as opposed to back then when there was very little knowledge about the virus?
0: Yeah, like, it's funny, she was, she was still kind of like in quarantine when I interviewed her, she was in her parents' basement. Not super glamorous at all. But when I was writing this, these articles, you know, coming out. You know, I didn't really know what was up with the virus. Like, I didn't really know, like, we didn't really know what to call it. Everything was so new. You know, we had so many breaking news stories to be like, classes got moved all online for the rest of the semester or graduation got the in-person graduation ceremonies got canceled, like those were huge stories. And, you know, it was all new to us because it's like, we've never been in this situation before, you know, and I thought this story was unique too, because a lot of the stories that we wrote were about school, like stats figures, you know, in the state of Wisconsin or like Dane County. But I think this one was unique because it was a feature because it it was character driven. And it was about like someone in the community. It kind of just shows like people are like scared about the stats, you know, like the deaths were racking up, but like to get like a real firsthand account experience of like what it's like to have like the full symptoms of COVID. You know, I think that was just what made this article very interesting.
1: Right. And I think that's what makes student journalists especially so well positioned to be able to capture that human story, which is exactly what you did. So you also conclude Your story with a very powerful quote that I am going to read, which says, this is from Amy, even if you think you're healthy, even if you think you're invincible, you can be like me and feel like you could almost die from it. I think my message is that you should be scared for yourself because I wouldn't wish my experience with coronavirus on my worst enemy. When she said that to you, what were your thoughts? What was going through your head?
0: I mean, like... It just harkens back to being a college student and feeling like you're on top of the world. And, you know, initial reports showed that like pre-existing people with pre-existing health conditions and, you know, the elderly were more susceptible to disease. But like, I think article is just a huge wake up call to, you know, all college students and all young people that you have to be responsible. You have to take personal accountability and how you interact, you know, with others, because you don't, you're not only when you go out and you go to the bars, you go, party, you go like into crowded areas, you know, you're not only putting yourself at risk, but you're putting, you know, your loved ones, your family members, your friends, all at risk. And this article just, again, shows that like, it doesn't matter, you know, how old you are, how healthy you are, like COVID can negative adversely affect you, like regardless of any demographic character attributes. But yeah, you know, it's funny. I asked her, you know, she said that, you know, and I asked her, like, what was the scariest moment throughout this entire time? And she said it was like, I was literally lying in my bed one night and I thought I was going to die. And, you know, that ended up being the lead. And then, you know, then she said this quote, and I was like, man, you know, maybe I need to take because I wasn't so sure about like, I thought maybe like I could still go out and, you know, I wouldn't get anyone sick or like you know i wouldn't get sick myself but like then it kind of like was a wake up call for me it's like i have to take more personal accountability and i have to take more responsibility over my actions and decisions because it not only affects my health but it affects the health of like everyone around me as well
1: well thanks so much for sharing is there anything else that you'd want people to know about the story or takeaways
0: i just think you know just for student journalists like i think you know student journalists you know while it's important that we do like cover daily news you know, about events happening in Madison, the state of Wisconsin, and even on campus. I think student journalists have a unique opportunity to write features like these where, you know, you talk about community members because there are a lot of good stories out there. There are tons of good stories out there. And I think this article just shows that student journalists, you know, have the power and ability to write powerful articles that, you know, can reach people.
1: Well, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me, Gabby.
2: As the university navigated the COVID-19 pandemic, the state also managed the public health emergency. The state's response was characterized by legislative inaction and challenges to the governor's efforts to mitigate the pandemic, all while cases spiked in fall.
1: It is Monday, March 1st at 5.23 p.m. I am here with my co-host of the student dive, Hope Carnup, who is also our state news editor We are switching it up a bit. Hope, I'm so excited to interview you this time.
2: So excited to be talking with you as well.
1: So Hope, you have written extensively for the Daily Cardinals State News Desk about the actions taken by Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers. But there is one story that you have chosen to share with us. So let's talk about it.
2: Yeah, great. So coming back to campus, um, I knew that we wanted to kind of localize our COVID coverage. Earlier in the spring, we had been covering kind of like the major decisions by the state government in terms of closing down businesses and urging people to stay in place. But coming back to campus, we really wanted to focus on how COVID was going in the local area. So the story I am sharing with you today was one of the many stories where Tony Evers announced a new public health emergency and mass mandate. He had been doing that a few times throughout the pandemic to keep the mass mandate going. Um, and those efforts were very continuously challenged by Republicans in the state. Um, but this one was really interesting in that he cited rising cases on college campuses throughout the state I'm looking back at what I wrote, and I think at this point, eight Wisconsin cities were listed among the top 20 U.S. cities, and six of those eight cities had UW System campuses. So that included La Crosse, Green Bay, and Madison, um, among other campuses. And at that point, the case rate among 18 to 24-year-olds was five times higher than any age group, according to the DHS dashboard. So that kind of really shows just how impactful, I guess, that college campuses were in sort of driving the spread forward. And I think when we talked with Gina and Jessica as well, they kind of talked about how students coming back from their homes and coming back to campus um, might have impacted that as well. And there clearly was some
1: disagreement as which was not a shocker within the government between the different parties. This happened multiple times, but can you talk about how that unfolded for the specific public health executive order?
2: Yes, for sure. So, throughout the pandemic, um, Republicans have argued that Evers is overstepping his powers by issuing multiple emergency declarations. And that case and that issue is right now before the the Wisconsin Supreme Court. So no one knows for sure whether that is part of his legal authority because this pandemic is presenting really unusual challenges for the state government. But in terms of how this order was perceived, it was just kind of the normal response from Republicans that continuing the mask mandate was not really part of his authority. Yeah. So it was really just like a continuation of their arguments that they had Um, throughout the pandemic and Republicans from the beginning have been very anti mass mandate and believing that it sort of is too restrictive on Wisconsinites. So why do you think it's important to talk
1: about this story in the broader context of COVID-19
2: throughout the last year? So I think Throughout the entire time that we've been doing COVID coverage, it was never as bad as it was around October, November, even like earlier in September. So if you go and look at like the case sort of like curve um, on the state website, you can see it was just like so exponential in the fall. Um, so I think this was kind of like the first indication that things were heading for, you know, more severe ground. Um, So like even earlier in the spring and summer, you know, cases were slowly rising and right around the time when college students came back is when cases exploded. And we, you know, we can't say for sure if that was the only factor in Wisconsin's, you know, cases rising very rapidly. Um, But it definitely is something that politicians and our reporters have noted
1: Thinking about this article now, we're in March. We have not one, but three vaccines that have now become available to the general public. So what makes this story still relevant today?
2: Yeah, so the biggest, the biggest takeaway, I think, is that Wisconsin still has some of these public health efforts in place most notably the mask mandate, which is still in place even after Republicans um, repealed it when Evers put it back in place. But I think another general trend that we've seen is that cases um, as well as hospitalizations and deaths have been declining for quite a few weeks, really. like The the worst of the pandemic looks like it's over for now, um, at least on a state level. And I think one really good sign that goes along with that is the vaccine rollout, and Wisconsin wasn't doing so well in the beginning compared to other states, um, but now we are really kind of catching up and vaccinating quite a large percentage, especially of the older population, people over 65 in Wisconsin, and new groups actually became eligible today, and Wisconsin is expecting shipment of a new vaccine, so things are looking up, um, and things are a lot better from where we were reporting in September. Well, I think that's a pretty
1: good note to end on then. Thanks so much for joining us, Hope.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much for listening to The Student Dive, brought to you by The Daily Cardinal. Make sure to head to dailycardinal.com for more stories and follow us on Twitter at Daily Cardinal for the latest news.